Well, we're continuing our study in the never-ending book of Revelation. Lesson 27. And we still got a lot to go. Now, we finished up most of chapter 14 last week, and we said that chapter 14 was a vision about what's going to happen in the near future. It wasn't happening chronologically. It was what's going to happen at the end of the tribulation. John gets a glimpse of what will happen near the end of the book. It showed us that what will happen to those who are believers during that time, they will be martyred, and John is told, to, told them to hang on because heaven's coming. You know, it's tough. It's easy to say that when someone's going through a rough time. But ultimately, heaven is waiting for believers. Whether it's a tribulation or just your life right now. A lot of folks in our church are going through some serious things. Life-altering things happening in their life. But heaven's waiting. And the older you get, aren't you glad for that? And the more that the things of the world don't matter, it's that you want to see people when you're gone. Because when you're gone, you're gone from here. And you want to make sure that the people you know here are going to be there. So that's why we study God's word. We read the, we'll read the rest of chapter 14, and then we'll look at it verse by verse. Chapter 14, starting at verse 14. Then I saw the Son of Man sitting on a white cloud. He had a gold crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then an angel came from the temple and called out in a loud voice to the one sitting on the cloud. Use the sickle, for the time has come for you to harvest. The crop is right on the earth. So the one sitting on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the whole earth was harvested. After that, another angel came from the temple in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. Then another angel said, who has the power to destroy the world with fire, shouted to the angel with the sickle, Use your sickle now to gather the, the clusters of grapes from the vines of the earth, for they are fully ripe for judgment. So the angel swung his sickle on the earth, loaded the grapes into the great winepress of God's wrath, and the grapes were trodden in the winepress outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress in a stream about 180 miles long and as high as a horse's bridle. So this is a different vision. John saw the first vision of what was going to happen to the believers. Now he's seeing a vision of what's going to happen to those who don't believe. Now, it's obviously a preview of the judgment that's going to happen. It's not happening right now, but it's going to happen at the end of the book. John is still on earth as he was last time, and the Bible says he looks up. He sees a cloud. And the NIV and most others say this. It says, I looked, and there before me was a white cloud. Seated on the cloud was, quote, like a son of man with a crown of gold in his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. This verse is a callback to Daniel's vision. In Daniel 7, it says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. And it's a reference to what Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew 26. Jesus replied, Yes, it is as you say, and in the future you will see me, the Son of Man, sitting at God's right hand in the place of power and coming back on the clouds of heaven. So the one sitting on the cloud is the Lord Jesus Christ. Going back to Revelation 1.13, it says, And standing in the middle of the lampstands was the Son of Man. And going back to the very first lessons, we said that the Son of Man at this point was Jesus. 
the same Son of Man sitting on the clouds. So it is Jesus that we're looking at on the clouds. The verse goes on and says, he was wearing a long robe with a gold sash around his chest. His head and his hair were as white as wool, white as snow, and his eyes were bright like flames of fire. So the first verse in, in Matthew, or Revelation 14, the man on the cloud is the Lord Jesus Christ. The gold crown on his head in that is a symbol of royal power and glory. Zechariah, in the book of Zechariah, was told to put a, a crown on the high priest's head. Jesus first came as a priest. The Bible says he was the high priest. He offered himself, the high priest was the one that offered the sacrifices. Jesus was the high priest. He offered himself as a sacrifice. Then he was crowned as king after he rose from the grave. And now he's going to be the judge. And the sickle is a symbol for judgment. Now this harvest is not for believers. It's for those who are still left on the earth who are unbelievers. And Matthew referenced it in Matthew 13, 28. It says, shall we pull out the weeds, Jesus? And they asked. Jesus replied, no, you'll hurt the wheat if you do. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds and burn them and to put the wheat in the barn. This is Jesus beginning the final judgment of the people that are still on the earth. Jesus is the final judge. John 5, 22, and the Father leaves all judgment to his Son. I've said this before, we're living in the age of grace now, right? Grace. God's judgment is being held back. Now, there's consequences to sin different from God's judgment. A lot of people ask, all these different tragedies, are these God's judgments? No, they're not God's judgments. They're a result of people being sinful and evil. How many know there's wickedness in the world? There's sin and evil in the world. You see it every day in the news. There is evil. It is not God's judgment. It is consequences for sin. God's judgment is being withheld until the end. God's age of grace will end with the rapture. Now, people will be saved during the tribulation, but that's the age of grace is right now. God's judgment is coming in the book of Revelation. The Bible says God is gracious to everyone not wanting any to perish, right? He wants all to come to repentance. We pray for our loved ones. We pray for the kids at VBS. The Bible says God wants no one to perish. That's God's will. Is that plain? He wants all to come to repentance. God's will. The Bible says you pray anything according to my will and I will do it. So when we pray for those who we think will never come to Christ, who will never know Christ, that's up to God. The Bible says God doesn't want that person to perish. He wants that person to come to repentance. So we pray that God works in their life to bring them to Christ. And it's, sometimes it's frustrating because you think that that person's never going to come to Christ. Then no matter what's happening in their life, they're, they're turning a blind eye to God. But the Bible says God doesn't want that person to perish. And that's why we keep praying and praying and praying. And it may take years. It may take years for that. And it may take after you're gone for them to get saved. It may take your death to get them saved. But you know what? I am totally cool with that. Because when I'm gone, I'm not going to see anybody. But I want to see him there. So if I'm dead, I'm good. If I know they're going to be there. I'd rather spend 
a few years here not seeing them and eternity seeing them. But there's coming a day when that grace is gone and judgment is coming and this is that judgment. Revelation 14, 15 says, then an angel came from the temple and called out in a loud voice to the one sitting on the cloud, use the sickle for the time has come for you to harvest. The crop is right on the earth. So this is another angel. It actually means another of the same kind. It's another angel that came from the throne room of God. He's God, God's emissary representing God's holiness and righteousness. And he calls out to Jesus, okay, it's time. Use the sickle. How many of you ever tried to use a sickle? How many of you use those rods in the, the, the long rod with the sickle on the end of it? I don't even know what they're called. A scythe, yeah. You try to cut wheat down with that? Okay, I'm not a farmer, so I don't know anything like that. But I know if it's sharp enough, you can cut it all. And God's going to use that sickle to cut down the believers that are, or the unbelievers that are still here. He says, it's time now. Time for what? It's time for the judgment to fall. The crop is right. In other words, time's up. No more chances. In fact, one commentator says the word used for ripe here means overripe and dried out. Kurt sent me an uh, email the other day. I can't remember the exact quote you said. What, what did you say in that? There you go. That was pretty cool. These guys are ripe and rotting. And it's time to take them down. Now, for the last couple years, we've attempted a small garden. <laughs> yeah. You can imagine how that went. But we, I don't know, I don't know anything about gardening. So we planted some stuff. We had some little tomato plants. We planted them. And I didn't realize that, you know, they get, a lot bigger than, than that. And so we had this small box, maybe eight by 10, and it was just full of all these plants and, and tomato plants and all these, and you can't see the fruit because of the leaves and all the vines and stuff. So you're looking for all these tomatoes, and at the end of the season, you look down, they're all on the ground, they're all rotted, they fell off the vine because we couldn't see them to pick them. So you know what I did? I pulled everything up, everything, threw it in the garbage because it, it was all gone. It was all rotted, it wasn't any good. So that was our first and last attempt at gardening. But it was too late to get the fruit off those things. And so I yanked everything up, pulled up by the roots, and shoved it all in the garbage can. And that's exactly what God's doing here. He's cutting everything down and throwing it all in the fire. John 15, 5 says, Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Anyone who parts from me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. This is not a harvest of good fruit, but of wicked and spiritually dead, rotten fruit. Those who all have been deceived by the Antichrist, they've all taken the mark, and now they're ripe for judgment at the end of the tribulation. Verse 16 says, So the one sitting on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the whole earth was harvested. Notice there's no hesitation there. 
He didn't say one more time. Can we give him more time? No, time was right, and Jesus was going to execute judgment on the entire world. Speaking of Jesus, John said this, John the Baptist said this in Luke 3, 17. He is ready to separate the chaff from the grain with the winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, storing the grain in the barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. Now, there's two different harvests mentioned in the Bible. The first one is the harvest of souls for the kingdom of God. John 4.35 says, Do you think that the work of harvesting will not begin until the summer ends four months from now? Look around you. Vast fields are ripening all around us and are ready now for the harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is, to harvest is people being brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one person plants and someone else harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest what you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and you will gather the harvest. Now, we talked about this on Wednesday. How many of you are praying, praying for someone? And you're praying for maybe someone else to go to them as a Christian because they're not listening to you. Or maybe you don't live anywhere near them. So you pray, Lord, send another Christian to that person. You may be the other person that someone's praying is sent to their friend. Maybe they live in California and they're saying, Lord, send someone to that person in Dover. Send someone to them in Dover who's a Christian to minister to them. You are going to harvest what you didn't plant. You're going to harvest the prayers of someone in California. Just like we're asking someone to go to them, maybe they live in California, we're praying for them here. They're going to harvest something that we've been praying for. That's the harvest of souls. You know, I, I was thinking, the song you sang, what was the name of the song? The Lighthouse. What was the vision X number of years ago? this would be a lighthouse now it seems like it's been a long time since that but a day is like a thousand years to the Lord so you never know this may be the fulfillment of that and it wasn't like we planned it you know it's just how God put it together so we're in the process of harvesting young souls for Christ so be praying for that but now we're talking about the harvest for judgment, which is what's happening in Revelation. Matthew 13 says, here's another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night as everyone slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat. When the crop grow, uh, began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also, the weeds also grew. The farmer's servants came and told him, sir, the field where you planted the good seed is full of weeds. An enemy has done the the enemy has done it, the farmer exclaimed. Shall we pull up all the weeds, they asked. No, he replied, you'll hurt the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. And then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds and burn them and put the wheat in the barn. God allows the sinfulness of people to grow until their sins are ripe for judgment. If you look in the Old Testament, a lot of times God says, okay, it's time for judgment on this nation. Genesis 15, 16 says, after four generations, your descendants will return to this land when the sins of the Amorites have run its course. I like the New American Standard says it this way. 
Then in the fourth generation they will return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So there's a time where God is kind of waiting and waiting and waiting until it builds up, until God says, okay, it's enough. And that's what they're talking about in Revelation. That's what they're talking about with the Amorites. Jesus does not do all the harvesting. He has help from his angels. Look at verse 17. It says, after that, another angel came from the temple, and he also had a sharp sickle. In Matthew 13, it backs it up. It says, I, the Son of Man, will send my angels, and they will remove from my kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And they will throw them into the furnace and burn them. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the angels are also helping Jesus harvest the sinners. How many of you have a picture of Jesus as, what was the old phrase, meek and mild? Meek and mild Jesus. Well, that's true. Right now, he is. He is full of compassion for everyone. And he does right now, but he also is the one who turned over tables and whipped the merchants. John 2, 14 says, In the temple area he saw merchants selling cattle and sheep and doves for sacrifices, and he saw money changes behind their counters. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and oxen, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and burned their, or turned over their tables. Then going to the people who sold them, he told them, get these things out of here. Don't turn my father's house into a marketplace. And his disciples remembered this prophecy from Scripture. Passion for God's house burns within me. Jesus is long-suffering, the Bible says. Long-suffering relates to people. Patience relates to things or situations. Jesus is long-suffering, but there's going to come a time where that runs out. How many of you have little kids, and you have patience, and you have patience, and finally, they just, the straw that broke your camel back, and you go crazy, right? Discipline comes, the belt comes out, because you have just had it up to here. That's what God is going to do. There's going to come a time where God says, I've had enough. No more mercy, no more sorry, this is it. John 14, 18 says, Then another angel, who has power to destroy the world with fire, shouted to the angel with the sickle, Use your sickle now to gather the clusters of grapes from the vines of the earth, for they are fully ripe for judgment. Now that was the New Living Translation, but the New Living Translation leaves out one important phrase. In verse 18 in the NIV, it says, Still another angel who had, who had charge of fire came from the altar. That wasn't in the New Living Translation came from the altar and called out in a loud voice. Now, it doesn't say which altar, but a lot of commentators believe it's the same altar that the saints were praying under in the earlier part of Revelation. In Revelation 6, 9, it says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. And what were they asking God? When are you going to avenge us? Well, this is that avenging. God is sending another angel from under the altar where these folks were praying for vengeance, and now this is the time for vengeance. And the verse goes on in verse 18, says, Use your sickle now to gather the cluster of grapes from the vines of the earth, for they are fully ripe for judgments. These grapes are not good grapes. These are the bad, rotten, stinking grapes. 
a good illustration of what the world will be like in the future. How many have seen pictures of countries that are just worn torn? Destruction everywhere. Sin rampant everywhere. I mean, look at our own country. The past couple of years, the riots and things that have happened. That's what the entire world is going to be like. With so much sin being rampant, the church being gone, most of the Holy Spirit's influence is gone, men are left to themselves, it's going to be miserable. Even before the judgment, it's just going to be miserable because what we saw in Texas is going to be on a mass scale because there's nothing to hold them back. God used the imagery of vines and grapes to describe Israel. In Isaiah 5, it says, I will sing for the one I, have a, I, the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest wines. He built a watchtower in it and dug out or cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for good crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Talking about the nation of Israel. God gave them, blessed them, gave them everything they had, but their fruit was bad. And what happened to Israel? God had to judge them. The harvest was ripe for them, but all like Old Testament Israel who left God, the fruit that they were experiencing and producing was bad, and God needed to come in and judge it. Isaiah 5 continues and says, Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. Again, that's Israel. I will take away its hedge, and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall, and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland. So God judged Old Testament Israel and Judah because of their sin. How much more is he going to judge the world's sin because of the same thing? It's using the same imagery. Verse 19 says, The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes, and threw them into the great wine press of God's wrath. A grape harvest is also a picture of judgment in the Old Testament. And Joel 3.13 says, Swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come trample the grapes, for the wine press is full, and the vats overflow, so great is their wickedness. Isaiah 63, I have trodden the wine press alone. No one was there to help me. In my anger, I have trampled my enemies as if they were grapes. So not only is God pouring judgment out, he's pouring it out in a wrathful means. It's going to be horrible. Un unimaginable terror that's going to be going on. Verse 20 says, they were trampled in the wine press outside the city and blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horse's bridle for a distance of 1,600 stadia, or 1,800 miles as we read earlier. It takes place where? Outside the city. Most commentators believe this, this is outside the city of Jerusalem, in the valley of Jehoshaphat, where the valley of Jehovah judges. In Joel 3, 2, it says, I will gather all nations and bring them to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will enter into my judgment against them. The verse reverse to the Battle of Armageddon, where the tremendous slaughter takes place at that moment. And it's not grape juice that comes out. It's the blood of the people that are killed. Now, some view this as an actual amount of blood. You know, 1,800 miles long and high as a horse's bridle. Some view that as a hyperbole. But whatever the case is, it's a lot of death. 
A lot of destruction. And the vision is looking ahead to the judgment at the end of tribulation when Christ returns with his saints. Another illustration is found in 1 Thessalonians 1. It says, this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed in heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. I got 10 minutes, and I'm going to use every one of them. Now, I'm going to close with this. I've said this before. We're living in the age of grace. Today, God is speaking to the world in grace. When you see all the evil going on, it's, you would think it's easy to contrast good and evil. But a lot of people don't. They lump them together. God doesn't want anyone to perish. And God has given grace to especially this country. But people still don't listen. But soon that grace period is going to end. And then God's going to speak in wrath. There will be no more chances, no more opportunities to be ready for heaven. There will be a point where there is no more time to escape judgment. And the Bible says we plead with those who do not, who do not know to receive God's grace now so they are able to miss judgment later. And this is the last verse, 2 Corinthians 6. As God's partners, I beg you not to reject this marvelous message of God's great kindness. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On this day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, God is ready to help you right now. Today is the day of salvation. Today. Before Texas happened, no one was thinking that it was going to happen. No one's guaranteed tomorrow. And as wicked as, as people are and as sinful as this nation is, there really is no guarantee of tomorrow. Benita lost two friends recently, two shootings. There's no guarantee. And once you're dead, there is no second chance. Your chance is now. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. God is ready to help you now. Now, this is Memorial Day weekend, and <clears throat> a lot of folks are away, and that's okay. A lot of them are watching online. But we always want to offer the chance to get right with God because you never know who's sitting in church or who's watching. A lot of people sit in churches that, aren't, that don't know Christ. And our job, number one job, to lead him to Christ. So if you would stand with me as we close in prayer. Would you bow your heads for a moment? This time is coming. We have no idea when it's going to be, but we know that it's going to be. And while we're living in the age of grace where God is extending his olive branch to each one of us, he's saying, I love you, I want you, 
into my family, not just to avoid judgment. I want you to have a relationship with me so that you know that I love and care for you. And God's judgment is just basically a result of us choosing not to serve God. God doesn't want that. The Bible says that the hell was made for the devil and his angels. It wasn't meant for people. But the choices we make here, God's going to honor. And the choices we make here are going to extend into the choices we result from what happens when we die. If we choose to not serve God here, God's going to say, okay, I can let you make that choice, and it's going to carry over to after you're gone. You don't want to be in God's presence now? You won't be in God's presence then. But if you choose to want to be in God's presence now, the Bible says, then there's a place already for you in heaven. But you have to come to the point where you say, you know what, I'm a sinner, and I have no right claim to heaven. I have no reason that God would allow me to come in because I'm not a good person. And everyone has to say that because none of us are good. The Bible says we've all sinned. Not even one has gotten away from that. We've all sinned. And we all need a savior. We all need someone to step in and take that place for us. Take the punishment for us. And that person was Jesus. Jesus already paid the debt. Now you just gotta, you gotta trust him. The Bible says if you believe, if you believe in your heart and confess him with your mouth, you're saved because it's the heart that makes it right with God and the mouth that you confess what God has done for you. So if you're here and you've never made that commitment to Christ, you've been in church, maybe you're watching online, you've never really made a decision for Christ. The Bible says today is a day of salvation. You want to be sure, you want to be sure that when your time is up, that you're going to be in heaven. The Bible says these things are written that you may know you have eternal life. So if you're not sure if you have eternal life, the Bible says there's a way to know for sure. And that way is to trust in what Jesus did for you. You're the sinner. He's the Savior. He wants to make you right with God. And all you have to do is repent of your previous lifestyle and trust what God has already done for you. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. If you're online, please contact me. DoverAssembly.com. Just call me, and I'll talk you through it. But I'm going to assume that everybody here is a committed follower. So, Father, we do come to you as believers, and we thank you for saving us. We thank you, Jesus, for bringing us into your family. And we thank you, Father, that you loved us enough to to be long-suffering with us. I'm sure all of us were not, a, not the best candidates when you reached out to us and you suffered a long time bringing us in. But we're so grateful that you did. So Lord, I pray that you would fill each one of us with that same burden and desire that we had when we first got saved and we continue to live that way every day. And I pray your anointing and blessing upon the people that are here. Meet their needs, Lord, as our Father. You know the needs of each one even before we ask. So I pray that you would just meet those needs. 
and allow them to experience the manifold blessings of God every day. Even in difficult situations, Lord, I pray that you would let them see you acting and working on their behalf. So, Father, I commit this church to you. I commit next week's VBS to you. You take it all, Lord. This is your church, not ours. And we want you to run it according to your Holy Spirit. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Memorial Day. Cookout time. Family time.